everybody. Welcome back to the Snapshot episode 35. This week, we're joined by Fresh Lobster, someone I had the pleasure of meeting over in the United Kingdom for the UK Content Creator Clash Tournament. A land in-person Marvel Snap Tournament was quite an experience. I'm sure we'll be breaking it down um, during this week's pod. But we're going to be talking everything that's been happening this week. We have huge news, right? We have PC release, a new best deck emerges, as well as our sort of standard philosophical ponderings on Marvel Snap the new genre of card gamings what does the future look like etc twitch drops as well of course the numbers have been crazy i've seen cam streaming everybody's been streaming so it's been a pretty incredible week in marvel snap but fresh lobster i just want to welcome you to the podcast and thank you for joining us well thanks for having me yeah so um lobster we have a section that we usually call the bend and snap section it's our listener question section of the week but this week and this is getting quite common it's going to be me asking the question i just want to ask you a little bit about your background in card games and content creation just to set the found you know set the foundation set the stage um for the audience that might not know who you are all right awesome um i think i have a bit of an unusual card game background i mostly came from poker and then um, after six years or so, made the switch to Legends of Runeterra, where I became kind of known and turned into a full-time pro player, mostly competitor first. But after realizing there's not that much money to be made and just competing and grinding, I switched more and more to content creation, to coaching, to shoutcasting and all of the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Poker is an interesting one. Poker is a game that I know a lot of players have transferred from that actually mostly in Flesh and Blood, a physical uh, trading card game. Haven't met many people in Marvel Snap that I guess have said that they're overtly from poker. I'm sure a lot of people have experience. How do you feel that the skill set from a game like poker transfers to Marvel Snap because we have that cube element, especially in something like Conquest, where you are managing those cubes is actually critical to the game plan? I actually think it's very essential and it's much more useful than people give it credit for because there are so few people coming from poker as a background. I think the reason for that is mainly that poker players are grinders and plus EV gamers, right? Mm-hmm. They look for the opportunities where they can make the most money by just playing and competing at a high level. But Marvel Snap doesn't really offer a lot of these opportunities yet for pure competitors, right? And uh, therefore, I think they rather tend to lash out into flesh and blood and other card games that have more of this Mm. pro circuit, more direct cash prices and so on. Um, But yeah, I think that the skills are very transferable to all card games, but especially to Marvel Snap. And I think uh, I want to save some of that for the genre discussion later Mm. on, Uh, but I, I will have some opinions there for sure. One thing. Can I just ask, can I just ask one, one really important question? Of course. How long have you been growing the mustache? (laughs) <laughs> this was my COVID project. So this one's like okay. three and a half years old by now, I think. With the outbreak, I started shaving. To, to hit that level? Um, a good year or two. But I also okay. will admit it's a lot of genetics. Like I was fortunate mm. to have hair grow here, uh, but loose uh, hair yeah. on top. The usual pack with the devil. It's different for everyone. Yeah, I know. I like. I just feel like I feel like that's going to be the question that we see in the comments is going to be like, "Yo, <laughs> it's look at that." Cause, and I, I say I feel like that because that's the kind of comment I would leave. Um, yeah. But yeah, no. I, let, let's jump into the poker thing because I do want to talk about that. You talk about like poker players being plus EV gamers. Knowing that you're like a plus EV oriented guy, how did you end up coming from poker then? Like, if you're so plus EV oriented, what brought you into other card games? Mostly the first COVID lockdown as well. I only played poker in casinos. Uh, I didn't really like grinding it online. So I was like university shut down, casinos shut down. I had to stay in my six square meters room. And uh, yeah, I was looking for stuff to do. And just at that time, Legends of Runeterra hit open beta. And I just grinded up the ladder and started playing as many tournaments as possible. Found quite a lot of success there. And that's how I got like into the competitive circuit as well as like got my name out there basically. Mm. Gotcha. There's an interesting aspect to poker players. I think when people think about poker, they think about casual poker, they think about, you know, going to Vegas and gambling. 
think about people taking a lot of risk, right? Using a lot of ego to gamble, you know, to sort of uh, big upside here or big loss and see if we win and see what happens. Let the die be cast. But one thing that I've noticed about professional poker players and poker grinders have come to card games is they're actually some of the better players when it comes to suppressing ego and playing the numbers, right? They're very quantitative. And I yeah, think they're that- robots. I think it's really helpful, right? Because we talked about it in the podcast, you know, over the past half a year to almost a year now, that this idea when it came to snapping, especially when Conquest came out, the idea that there was a lot of times in your deck when you had to snap, right? It wasn't a choice. Your deck just snapped there and sometimes you would lose. And that's like a paradigm shift for, I think, a lot of Marvel Snap players that are getting better now. The idea that, you know, it's it, it doesn't really go off field. There are some times when it just is objectively correct and you will take the objectively correct line and still lose the game. But you made the correct mm-hmm. play, right? And you can't be super results oriented and go back and try to change the gameplay. I think that poker players have been really good at transitioning that skills where they, they sort of play the odds, they play the numbers, and they're much more okay with losing if they feel they've taken the optimal line. Do you agree? Absolutely. I actually think poker is one of the most ego-breaking things you can experience if you are trying to be a winning player and trying to get really good at it. Because like, there are a couple of elements to it. One is you have to, there's no way around it, you have to get comfortable with losing because you will lose like 40% of your hands that you engage in or even more, right? Um, and you need to understand that Losing little is actually winning, for example, mm-hmm. which is very different in card games, right? In traditional Except card in games, snap, where it is exactly. very literally true. Yes, yeah, like you you retreat correctly, and that is like you just won a cube. Yeah, you saved cubes where other players would have lost more cubes than you, and then so in the long run, your net average cube rate is higher. It's the same as like the average winnings in poker in that regard. It's that's why I think it's actually, it, it makes Marvel Snap a different genre. It's not even necessarily really a card game. It's more of a betting game at first. The card game layer just goes right underneath it, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. Well, So I did mention that the Bend and Snap was being taken over by me this week, but I kind of lied because we had a question come in on last week's or the Weeks Before's pod, and it comes from Joseph Kelly. And I want to pitch it to both of you. And Joseph says... Shang-Chi nerf win. I just want to ask you guys about this card <laughs> because it it permeates so many deck lists nowadays. And just my, I guess my main question off of Joseph Kelly's is like, is this card healthy? And if not, what does it need a nerf? And what would that nerf look like? Shang-Chi is totally fine. But that said, he is the number one card that defines the metagame in basically every circumstance. When you look at the decks that are succeeding right now, the move deck dodges him entirely. The brood deck dodges him entirely. Like, that is the whole point of those decks. They are always dodging Shang-Chi. They get right up to that line of Shang-Chi, they, but they put a bunch of power wide instead of putting that power tall. And then they blank the opposing Shang-Chi, which in turn, of course, though, means that Shang-Chi is not good, right? <laughs> like, that is that is the eternal interplay here. If everyone is playing all these decks that never lose to Shang-Chi, then the way to beat those decks is you cut Shang-Chi and you just go really tall because they're not playing Shang-Chi. And so, like, while I do think he is, like, the number one defining card of the metagame, I don't think it's bad. I think, like, that will inevitably cycle because once there's this saturation of decks that Shang-Chi is just not a card against, then suddenly you're like, oh, I'm playing a 4-3. That's the worst card I've ever played. I'm cutting Shang-Chi so I can try to beat these decks. And then you start losing, right? Like that is sudden, like you, you, because the way to beat these decks is like, you know, you go super tall. If they're not playing armor, you do like Deadpool Taskmaster for like 40 or whatever, right? You just do something that goes enormous, yeah? And you know what, you know what beats things that go enormous? is Shang-Chi, and then they have to start putting Shang-Chi back in the decks, and then that makes their decks worse against the mirror when the other people aren't playing Shang-Chi. It goes like this. That was a circle, I'm sorry. It wasn't very... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree with KM here. I think Shang-Chi kind of balances himself out. I also agree he's probably the most meta-defining card, but the meta goes in waves, and like, weak to Shang-Chi, people catch up, start playing Shang-Chi, and then it's like strong against Shang-Chi, basically playing stuff that dodges Shang-Chi. So I wouldn't really say he needs a nerf. 
Um, he does have this effect that if we never had Shang-Chi or any card with a similar effect, we would just be trying to find the silliest and most broken deck over and over, yeah. right? Just like highest points in total, most consistently. And uh, Shang-Chi adds something that I love about Marvel Snap is that level of prediction and mind games, interaction, counterplay. Because very often in the high level play, you have to play a somewhat blind Shang-Chi or something like if your opponent has initiative, you still need to predict where they actually play their uh, big card to hit him with Shang-Chi. You don't even know if your opponent runs Shang-Chi. That kind of stuff, I think, adds so many layers to the game that I would rather keep him in the game yeah. just as is. It's perfectly fine right now. Yeah, I think the, the best analogy, the best analogy I could give to what a Shang-Chi-less meta would be like is, does anyone remember the Sherry meta? There was just like one deck that just did bigger stuff than everything else and mm -hmm. just couldn't be Shang-Chi'd that it would be like that it would just be that it wouldn't necessarily be sure you'd probably be some deck that goes higher taller than shuri but it would just be that it would just be like oh well i have 50 you have 30 that's the, that's the game now yeah i think the sort of preeminent question is should shang chi fit in the zabu shell and should it be four cost you know the effect itself i think adds a lot of depth to game people people enjoy that effect you know there's some sort of reactive level to it and it, it definitely keeps the metagame in check but should it fit so snugly into that sort of pesky zabu shell that has all the tech um and should it be a four cost or should it maybe be pushed to a five cost i think that shell is good uh like right now i don't even think i'd play it i think that shell is fine like go go nuts like i think i think after the brood decks out and now with everyone playing move too i just think that that the the dark hawk list like it gets farmed by both of those i don't want to be i, I think it, it used to be like what you would call i don't know low tier one it's still tier one it defines the meta it's the police but now so many people are building around it mm -hmm. that it just it's it's in a very it's poorly positioned. It's a fundamentally strong deck that is poorly positioned because of its own strength. Right. It defined the metagame that we entered into here by like pushing out all those weird magic living tribunal decks. And now suddenly it is being defined by the metagame because everything is going under the Shang-Chi and not playing anything that dies to Enchantress. And it is an example of like context. Right. I think that it is a great deck to exist because I personally prefer this sort of interplay over like people actually playing living tribunal. You know what I mean? I personally yeah. prefer this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree here as well. Um, I do think you could take a power of Shang-Chi. You could make him a 5-4 yeah. or whatever. I think he would still be very similar in that effect that like maybe the play rate would drop by a few percentage points and the like number of decks that are strong against Shang-Chi or yeah weak against Shang-Chi rather goes up a very little bit, but it would still balance itself out because Shang-Chi still does exactly what he's supposed to do. As long as you don't change the effect, I think tweaking the cost and the power doesn't change too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a little bit of a, I guess a somewhat hot take, but we've we've seen the metagame mature, um, sort of post bounce over the past few weeks, and the police deck, the dark hawk deck with the tech, was looked at as one of the best decks, if not the best deck in the metagame for a while. And I think that, that we've gone through this cycle a few times where there's been a big patch, there's been a shakeup, and then there's been some sort of mid-range um, soup deck that, that has all the answers that people look at as the best deck. But I think that most metagames, and it seems like almost every metagame in Marvel Snap, tends to sort of trend towards that not ever actually being the best deck. The best deck is usually some bounce or bounce derivative, right? Some points on deck. We can look at that as the move deck. Or... What is the de in a similar vein, the Patriot deck, right? I mean, we actually had Cozy on last week, and I remember Cozy saying when we were talking about the metagame, he's like, Well, the best deck is probably still just some Patriot deck that people are running. We're like, Yeah, it's it's <laughs> I agreed with yeah. him. I was like, Patriot is really good right now. I couldn't yeah. find the right configuration though. I've been playing around with stuff like this, and when I saw Moyen's list that had like blue Marvel and Legion in it, I was like, Oh, I whiffed mm -hmm. it. I should have just put Legion in my deck. That was so dumb because I was like three or four cards off of that. And I was just like, this doesn't it's good, but it doesn't feel like it's there. And then then I saw this list and I was like, oh, it makes perfect sense now. So I, I will say that. Um, but I will also I also want to just just mention like that list is barely a Patriot list. Like I want to be I want to be super clear about that. Like we talk about like how like, you know, dodging enchanters, you see that you're like, oh, enchanters, they're Patriot. It doesn't matter. They don't care. They don't care at all. They, they, that list is a brute absorbing. Man. 
It is not like Patriot is there and he's cool, but like what it's doing is brood absorbing, man. It's doing iron lad stuff. It's doing go wide plans. That's what it does. The Patriot is just like, you know, that's a good card, yeah. right? Like it, it is like, it is like, Oh, you have Patriot. Oh, you have silver surfer, right? Like it, it's just good. But like forge and then the duplicates with brood and Mr. Sinister, of course, sometimes you high roll those off of Iron Lad too. All you're doing is that a bunch of unshang chiable points. It's the perfect setup. Yeah, it's it probably doesn't add much value for me to describe a deck like this, but it seems like these sort of point slam decks, but also point slam decks that are somewhat unpredictable into what lanes that they have to play to. They're a bit uncommittal in terms of their macro game plans. And the, those decks that can also splash a little bit of tech, they can also splash like the Legion yes. and the Shang-Chi. Those seem to consistently be the best decks in Marvel Snap, right? Because you have the best of all worlds. And I think that, you know, fundamentally Marvel Snap is as as a game it's like the hold on win by having the more points i want to i want to i want to stop you there because you talked about it like oh the mid-range decks aren't the best deck Mm -hmm. right they're never the best deck and i think that's wrong because it's about context those mid-range decks were absolutely the best deck in the game when everyone was trying weird crap that died to shang chi and enchantress and then you look at like the the role the bounce deck played you know what the bounce deck did it did the same thing the move deck did in those mid-range matchups which is your tech cards aren't real You don't get to do those. The bounce deck did it by not having priority. The move deck does it by not actually having to uh, have any targets for the deck for the the stuff in the deck at all, which is why Darkhawk adapted to the bounce deck with Invisible Woman and can't adapt to this in the same way. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the Darkhawk deck was never the best deck in the game. It's just it defined the context of the metagame. If everyone was still playing Living Tribunal, you couldn't play the Patriot deck. You die. Like mm-hmm. they, if everyone was still doing that, you would be dead playing this mid range stuff. Probably like you would need to involve tech in your stuff. And then once you start diluting your game plan with tech, you end up in a weird spot. Like I think the Patriot deck can afford it, but I think the move deck only really has one spot. You have like a Shang-Chi. You really have to get it right. You can maybe make that Shang-Chi and Enchantress and you'd be able to do that. But like then suddenly you're actually giving something up and that actually does matter. And so I think like what happens is a big patch happens. Mm-hmm. Everyone plays weird off the wall, wacky stuff because new things are here. You try something new and then a deck that plays the tech cards that beat all that stuff rises up. And then that defines the metagame. Everything else is defined in the context of that deck. And that's what actually ends up being good afterwards. Yeah. I think we actually agree there. Cause that, that was my, that was sort of my core point is that when the metagame is shaken up, the life cycle of a Marvel snap metagame tends to follow that pattern, or at least it has to seemingly twice in a row where we see those combo S decks. We see the mid range deck sort of you know, start policing, um, you know, becomes sort of the, pre- the deck that's being played. And then ultimately where I feel like we end up when the metagame fully matures is in the sort of point slam esque decks, the ones that are less committal on specific lanes have a bit of flexibility that can include the tech card these seem like where the destination usually is in terms of like where a metagame will sort of coalesce at the end so that was more that was more my point i want to ask you in terms of the news because we we have to hit on the news there was a card that came out this week that um, cam and i were both very excited for um uh, when we talked about it a couple weeks ago and that was x23 X-23 is a mm-hmm. 1-2, and it says, when this is discarded or destroyed, regenerate it at a random location, and you get plus one energy next turn. Now that this card is out, I want to get your thoughts, Fresh Lobster, and then I want to pass it over to you, to Cam, to sort of get yours as well. Um, yeah, first of all, I love the card design, and I do think it adds exactly what Destroy would need, especially Deadpool archetypes. But... The big issue with any type of destroy card is the counters to destroy decks are just so good that destroy decks can never become meta-defining because they almost auto-lose to a deck that includes armor and cosmo, especially in Conquest, after a bit of consistency and your opponent drawing those cards often enough. So, of course, the first thing that happened, I got X-23, queue up a Conquest game, turn two, boom, armor in my face. It was a pain. Like the 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 whole deck, the whole game plan fell apart. And the issue with X23 is I think it kind of needs an all-in destroy kind of cycle deck. Mm-hmm. And that makes it even more vulnerable and exploitable by armor and cosmo. So I don't think yeah. the card's gonna be meta-defining, but it's a cool addition to the game. It's the analogy I like to draw is it's sort of like living tribunal, 
where if you're not prepared for it, it'll probably run you over. Like one of the things that really struck me about it. Uh, first of all, I, I talked to Moyen about this when we did our interview we, about about the Patriot deck. There's actually like a full digression on how good he thought the Deadpool deck was right now. If you our opponent was not playing armor, because I will say, I don't think Cosmo does it. I don't think Cosmo does it at all because or at least not in this current context of mid range decks, which is to say uh, most of them are either playing Kitty Angela, which is not taking priority or they're playing like a forge on turn two, which is also not taking priority. So you won't able be able to proactively Cosmo them. Armor, on the other hand, is dumb as hell. <laughs> like armor, on the other hand, abs like actually does wreck that deck. And I know the list uh, I put on Twitter for the Moyen list. It's probably going to be the list that you use in this episode has a Scarlet Witch in there. But I will say I talked to Moyen about that. That should be an armor in most cases because he is scared of that matchup. Otherwise, because of how tall they are able to go again, one of the weaknesses the brood deck has is just someone who puts like 40 power in two lanes. You kind of can't do anything about that. And so you have the armor in there because it's the actual good one. And I want to I want to really stress that because that is a silver surfer deck. You'd think they'd want to play Cosmo, but Cosmo is so not fast enough in that matchup that you have to play armor as a two. Right. And that is the the interesting thing about how that matchup goes for me. Uh, I will also say that. For the record, the Scarlet Witch uh, was because he expected his finals opponent to be playing uh the moon girl uh infinite deck mm -hmm. and he wanted a scarlet witch in addition to legion in there but like you he, he said that was pretty much a flex slot you could flex whatever you want in there he said made the main contenders were scarlet witch shang chi armor armor was the one he would normally run because of the deadpool matchup anyway so I i'm gonna revisit x23 my first instinct was yeah she's kind of mid but if everyone is now playing the brood deck and they're all playing it with Scarlet Witch or Lambie posted a version with like Luke Cage. Hey, look, if they're all doing that, I'm very happy to Deadpool some people because uh, like, like I said, that's how you beat that deck is you just like go tall. And if they're all going to be playing, you know, not armor in that deck, I'm very happy to try. Yeah, right before Twitch Rivals started, I, Moyen was actually prepping with Freddy Babes on stream. And Freddy Babes was mm -hmm. trying an X23 all-in deck with like Null and Venom and everything. Moyen was playing the Brute deck, but uh, an early iteration that played neither Armor nor Shang-Chi. And yeah. he kind of, he couldn't keep up with the 60 power, yeah. null, 120 power Deadpool in the end. Uh, it might have even run Magic and um, no Scarlet Witch on, on Moyen's side. So it, it yeah. did look one-sided from what I saw, but... Just those couple of tech choices, like you said, can completely just flip the matchup. Armor's really scary. Yeah, Armor's exactly. really, really scary. Cosmo, eh. Armor, horrifying. Because unless you're carnaging that X-23 immediately, you are in a lot of trouble. There is like that one little mind game where like if they snap on turn two, you know you have to carnage there. So there is like that little mind game there. But other than that, like, oh man, uh, it is it is tough to manage those situations because the deck does tend to actually put points on the board and get priority decently well yeah all right also at the top of the news pc release finally just want to get both of y'all's thoughts on on the release on how the client feels and looks are you happy with it is it what you were expecting i think you know maybe some people here might have had access to the test branch or something like that but ultimately what actually, is actually no i can confirm i did not I think it was me neither. It was uh, it was a guest. It was, it was it was you're thinking of someone else that may or may not have. And you're going to have to edit this out because they're under an NDA. Yeah. yeah. So what are your thoughts <laughs> on the PC release overall? Are you happy with it? Is it what you expected? And uh, what could you see? What do you want to see improved, if anything? Um, yeah, I can start off here. I think for me, honestly, it was a bit underwhelming at first because I didn't see anything in advance and more than half of the game is still kind of vertical mm. and not horizontal, right? Like a lot of the, um, the interface, a lot of the screens that pop up and even in the other screens, like everything is still happening in the, in the vertical part, like in the middle of the screen and on the sides, they, they were kind of just filled with some arts or some elements that were just moved out. Um, so it did make for some better spacing. The one big difference maker for me was the deck builder, though. The deck builder yeah. is so much nicer. It's so much faster to assemble your decks. You see, just see a lot more cards on the screen. It's uh, much easier to like strategize, to go through all of your options. Um, that's the one big plus for me. 
the other big plus for me was not necessarily the client itself, but how much they made out of this release event. That was amazing. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm. I, I want to talk about that because, like, uh, I already see people like, "Yo, can we do Twitch Twitch drops every month? That would be incredible <laughs> for us." Like, yeah, no, they had, they they went all out for this, and I'm very grateful for uh, the help that it has given my channel for sure. I really, really appreciate it. What what Marvel Snap has done, they are unbelievable, and I am actually going to be trying to stream. Like, I guess by the time this comes out, we'll know if I succeeded or not from airports while i'm traveling just to make sure that i get those get everyone their twitch drops Mm. yeah i mean twitch drops are sort of a tried and true method to generate a lot of viewers you know eyes on on a game and i remember we had talked about on the pod before with a few guests it was like they were wondering when it was coming because it felt like it fit so well into the marvel snap model right being variant focused being sort of cosmetic focused in your form of progression but launching it with pc release i do think it was perfect you know a lot of people that may have not been exposed to the game prior um are sort of being exposed to it now and marvel snap um it's interesting because as a phone i think it works very very well as as a phone game right the short games you know the interface is just it's phenomenal but there's just a large user base of people that aren't mobile gamers to an extent that do prefer to play on pc and probably players that avoided playing the game because they were used to playing digital card games on pc and i think that this release you know executed well in combination with the trish drops can bring a lot of new players into the fold and maybe be pushing marvel snap up as one of those sort of digital card games that's on pc i feel like you know there were still some people that were holding on to you know older card games maybe it was like gwent or hearthstone and stuff like that and we just weren't ready to try marvel stat because they're like it's a you know it's a phone game card acquisition etc but now it just it feels a lot more mainstream that we have that uh that client yeah at least it does not look like 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 i will i will say this it looked like shit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it does not look like shit anymore like maybe it's like a c but it was an f yeah, you're right. I mean, let's let's be real. Yeah. When you were when you were watching it on Twitch and half of the screen was gameplay at best and yeah. the other half was like, you know, the variant rotation of art like people just had to fill screen in their right. overlays. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fresh Lobster, yeah, pretty much you just uh you you sort of agree with that on the PC release and overall overall you happy with it? Yeah, I am happy with it. Like I said, I like but the technicalities, uh, like I, I was hoping for more, but what they did with the client is what really makes it stand out for me. And just like you said, the added accessibility, like it it actually gets its job done. I, I yeah. believe there is and there will be a large influx of players just because of this computer client. And in that regard, it is a full-on success. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to talk about Twitch rivals cam i just want can you sort of set the foundation for people listening that don't know anything yeah. about what happened this week what was the format um you know what did you play etc cetera, etc cetera. so the format was there were three deck building challenges uh you played those in groups once you got out of the groups you went to the brackets in the brackets you were playing whatever deck you wanted deck building challenge number one uh, i'll actually take you through all of them real quick deck building challenge number one was pool one and pool two Uh, I was paired up with someone who'd never really played Marvel Snap before. So I made two Devil Dino decks. I gave him the one that had the tech for Zoo, like destroy, you know, Killmonger, Nova, Carnage sub package, right? And I played the one that was meant to beat that deck. Uh, Because I think it was pretty clear that the thing you want to do, pool one, pool two, is uh, you you, you 100% want to do uh, Dino basically every single time. It's the best thing you could possibly do. Uh, I played against Atrix. Atrix and his teammate brought an ongoing deck, and we did really well into that because instead of bringing Shang-Chi, we brought Enchantress because, again, if you're locked in pool one and pool two, there's just nothing to Shang that Enchantress won't hit. So you have uh, Enchantress against the ongoing deck. The only card they had that was actually scary was Cosmo. Generally, they only really get to attack two lanes. We get to uh, mostly win when we just pick the other lane. We contest one of the lanes, the lane they're not super contesting. I will say a card that impressed me was Namor out of their list. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's really big. The 411, that's huge. Bigger than a dino a lot of the time. Like, that's really, really, really large. You get like a, a Mr. Fantastic buff or a Spectrum buff on there. It's like, oh my God, that guy is big as hell. So I was really impressed with Namor. Uh, next deck building challenge was we had no 
cards in our deck could not start with the same letter of the alphabet. So what I ended up giving my teammate was a modified Darkhawk list. Mm -hmm. And I played my pocket Thanos list, which is like a Thanos Galactus Lady Deathstrike X-23 deck, just an absolute pile. I looked at it and I was like, oh, this actually just works. And in that one, I played against Lambie series. Lambie series brought a Darkhawk list tech to beat Darkhawk lists. And uh, I drew Mindstone three games and I 10 owed him. <laughs> and then I learned after that he had a play that would have beat me. So basically, I, I got lucky and won a coin flip. I did know it was a coin flip going into it. I was like, all right, we're going to coin flip for this whole thing. Let's do it. And we coin flipped and I won, basically. That, 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 that's pretty much what it is. It was not like talent. I drew Mindstone. I won a coin flip. Is that your that's, first time that's playing pretty much what happened in, a, in a competitive in a tournament? In a tournament setting, yes. Uh, in testing, we've, we've tested like one game before and I won that one too. So let, let, me, let me just say too. Let me just say, I think Lambie is a fantastic player, arguably the best player in Marvel Snap right now. But the Snapshot podcast is 20-0 on Lambie in competitive events. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a flex up, man that's fucked up man uh but yeah no that, that was my first time uh i wouldn't really but yeah that was that was that was my first uh competitive matchup against lambie so obviously i was i was hyped after that but then i got out deck built i think i, I had the right idea i was in the ballpark for the third one which was everything has to have a power of four or higher so i played like a thanos mid-range list and I got out deck built and we lost to Jeff Hoogland and Jim Davis. Mm-hmm. Yep. And because of the tiebreakers, even though we were both two one, they ended up advancing to the championship bracket instead of me. Is it a, like, um, was there a, bu- like on, a big bubble or something? Can you explain that a little bit? The tiebreakers were wins by most cubes. So cube differential. Mm-hmm. And they had a 36 cube differential because they beat us by enough. It's, I, I think that was my fault because I only took one cube off of Jeff. And if I'd taken th- four more cubes off of Jeff, we go through. Uh, I, I take full blame for that. At this point, I had not eaten all day. I was sick before Twitch Rivals, and I think it had started to affect me. That's not actually an excuse because that's part of being good. Like people talk about like high level chess, right? You have to be able to make decisions for extended periods of time. And I'm just not used to that yet. It's a muscle I have to build. And so. When I talk about that, like I just I'm not as good at Je- as Jeff is at being a competitive player mm-hmm. fundamentally because he has so much more experience playing like long hours yeah, 12, of the game hour. on a competitive mm-hmm. right. Like he magic, used to play right? magic tournaments. Right, he used to play magic tournaments. He is a better at the fundamentals of being a competitive player than me right now. So like when I say that, I want to say like that's not an excuse because a better player than me would have taken better care of themselves, would have not been someone who faded after two rounds because they thought too hard or whatever. Like fundamentally. That like I just, like when I say that that is not to take anything away because I do think that the, what that represents is that he is better than me at those fundamental things. Um I will also and then in the <laughs> In the brackets, I played against Raven, and by the time this comes out, there's going to be a an absolutely hilarious video featuring the deck that he used because it crushed me. I had no idea what it was doing. Uh, I, I guess I say it crushed me. The last game, we, I, he he won it by one cube, but then I, I queued the wrong deck into it in the rematch, and then it crushed me because I queued the deck he built it to beat, mm-hmm. which is he was playing like a Brood Absorbing Man deck, and I played move into it and you can't win that matchup. It's just really, 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 really bad. Uh, but his deck was very unique. There was one game where he played a Negasonic and it blew up my 11 power vision. Like just, just a bunch of very, very funny things happened. Uh, so I am going to, I am going to have a video called like, it's going to be called like this deck crushed me on YouTube at some point soon. It'll probably be out before this comes out, but yeah. Uh, shout out to Raven because I had no idea what I was playing against and I made suboptimal decisions because of that. And that is you, you deck build for that. That's what's good in tournaments like this is because like the reason I beat Lambie was he had no idea what he was playing against. And I got to rob cubes off of him with a Galactus. He didn't expect a Galactus. Why would you expect a Galactus? Right. I got to blow up a Zabu with a lady death strike. Why would you expect that to happen? Right. Like there's, there's a lot of value in playing something people don't expect. And I was on both sides as well. I beat him for the same reason. Yeah, (laughs) I I was on I was on both sides of it. Right. Like I was on I got the good end of it and I got the bad end of it. And that happened. Was the the whole tournament closed deck list? Yes. Okay. yeah, that adds a huge element of well, making surprise more valuable, basically. 
Yes, I I was shocked by like card choices that happened over and over. I was like, oh my god, what the hell? Uh, but yes, so the tournament was closed to deck lists, and it was a an absolute blast to play in. I had a ton of fun playing Twitch Rivals. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, if anyone from Twitch is listening to this, I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, Fresh Lobster, did you have a chance to view Twitch the Twitch Rivals tournament live? Unfortunately, only a few snippets. Like most of it was uh, very late for me coming mm. from Germany, way different time zone. Just want to see if you have any sort of high level takeaways from the viewing experience and sort of the execution overall. Was it uh, was it entertaining? Was there anything that you felt was missing? Sort of, etc. I know that you said you didn't get to watch too much of it, but if you could make an opinion from what you saw, um. Honestly, I can't really give too much of a qualified opinion. I do think it is entertaining. I did like the change up in formats. It, of course, doesn't make it like competitive, like in the classic way. It just gives it a, a unique spin. It uh, rewards creativity and on-the-spot thinking and so on. And I do like those formats for these content creator tournaments. Mm. I do think they're more entertaining to watch. And it also merged two things in a very clever way. So... Like the, the second part of the tournament gave the players that only look for deck lists and how to play them what they need. The first half of the tournament was like offbeat, wacky deck building and looking like seeing what kind of creative stuff people come up with. And so that was a nice mixture of both. Mm-hmm. What do you think about being, you know, the, the duo aspect, right? Being paired up with someone. I thought, you know, from a, from a viewing perspective, or at least I guess not viewing, but from a reach perspective, it is kind of cool to see people like, you know, like Jeff Hoogland and Jim Davis. Like Jim Davis is a very popular magic streamer, competitor, et cetera. And it's cool to see, you know, we have like our pillars of Marvel Snap content creation and competitors, but then we've also branched out to other card games. And obviously a lot of these players that play other card games do play marvel snap i felt like that was cool from a viewer perspective felt like it was executed well um or at least well enough cam what were your thoughts being on the competitor uh the competitor side of that um i'll tell you i i i i was really like that that jeff jim team is so worrying because like i my partner he was great i did so well he was someone who never played marvel snap before and I, I learned who my partner was the day before. And it was like, OK, I guess we're just going to have to run up against Jim Davis, who has played a lot of Marvel Snap before and is a professional Magic the Gathering player. That's really it's a really tough ask to to, to, to give to my boy, Trishula. Like, that's just a really tough thing to ask to that, 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 that. And like, I feel like I did my best to coach him up. I did what I could. But that's just a really, really, really tough ask. I did feel like that was just like, oh, man, I wish I could have. I wish I could have. I wish I could have had more time. I wish I could have like done a little bit more there. But I understand that's just the limitations of the format. Um, but yeah, that that it's also not anyone else's fault but mine uh, for, you know, not making the championship bracket. Uh, I I blame myself entirely for that. So I, I that said, I'm still pretty happy with like, you know, how I performed. I think we ended up in like what I would, I guess is eighth place or seventh place or something like that. It's not, you know, the end of the world, but it's, I obviously like when I play something like this, I want to win. So. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I want to, I want to zoom out to sort of a higher level topic um, and direct us to you fresh lobster, but I want to go back to Marvel snap as a new genre of card game. So really the thesis with this statement is that Marvel snap, um, it doesn't necessarily compete with other digital card games. It doesn't compete with those 60 plus, you know, ca- you know, card deck builders, you know, 45 minute games, um, et cetera, right. Marvel snap is short games. It's visual, easy to understand. Um, it has, you know, different sort of ways of progression. You, know, you have conquest, cubes, snapping, um, sort of bluffing, etc. So my argument is that Marvel Snap, they corrected and changed so many things that were fundamental about card games that have been copy and pasted over and over again by different games. They changed so much that I don't think they created a new good card game. I think they created an entirely new genre of card games and that they are simply the only ones competing with themselves and the best game. But if I was to actually, I will say, if I was to loop it in with those other digital card games, I think Marvel Snap is the best card game on the market by far right now. But I just want to get your thoughts on Marvel Snap as a new genre. 
I couldn't agree more. So I do think they reinvented the wheel in, in probably two ways even. First of all, I really respect Ben Broad for those and Second Dinner for those bold design, game design decisions. They did it with Hearthstone. Now they kind of revolutionized everything again with Marvel Snap. Um, yeah. I like whenever I talk about other card games, I call them classic card games in comparison to Marvel Snap. <laughs> Marvel Snap feels like yeah. a new breed Legacy and a new thing to games. beat. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I will say is, yeah, well, th they it is still a card game. They call it card battler, right? That's also a very interesting thing to note. In all press releases and so on, they never really called it a card game. They called it card battler. I think they they were aware of what they were doing. But from a game theory and player perspective, and also from what I do as a coach, I always keep telling people it is fundamentally a betting game merged with a card game. Um, and that is something that no other card game has dared before, neither. Like people will think poker is that way, but it isn't. Like poker just dresses up as a card game because you're holding cards, but you actually have zero decisions in the actual card game part, right? Because you're dealt your cards, they are worth a certain thing, but you don't, don't do anything with the cards. All yeah. you can do is read how strong your hand is. There, 100% of the agency is in the betting, right? That's the whole game. And Marvel Snap kind of blends those two together. It takes those poker or backgammon-like element, and uh, it combines it. It puts it on top of a freshly designed card game or card battler, whatever you call it. I think it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's. I I'm trying to find a way to articulate it, but yeah, the what? How would you describe the card game layer on top of the betting game? Like, what makes something a card game? Is it the is part of it the ability to sort of make suboptimal decisions and still win the game? That's when I think about card games and what makes them fun is that variance element sometimes and being able to not always make the you know take the highest EV line, right? You can play around your opponent, you know, rather than just sort of playing solitaire sometimes. Like how do you how do you articulate and describe the card game layer that exists on top of that um on top of that betting game and what sort of defines it? Yeah, okay. I would still like I, I still kind of call Marvel Snap a CCG. Um because you do collect cards, you have the deck building element is very important and it's a game of imperfect information so mm -hmm. um you don't know certain aspects of the game which is which hand your opponent has and to a degree which deck your opponent has and you need to yeah make good risk reward decisions mm -hmm. and like kind of guesstimate correctly what your opponent plays and what they are going to do so uh that's what makes card games special um what is very unique about Marvel Snap, though, just fundamentally, what is the goal of every other card game? Like, what is the ultimate metric that we gauge success by? What would you guys say? Oh, you're making the comparison by like, you, you, there's no way to like hit your opponent in the face and drop their life, right? As opposed to like, it's a card versus board. Yeah, um, not uh, even more basic. Is it? I, I just uh, take the shortcuts. So, is it by? Right, go is, ahead. Uh, is it other card games a binary win loss where Marvel Snap exactly is also is you you have small wins right you so when you lose you are winning like we talked about by not uh, incurring the opportunity cost of losing the additional cube yeah pretty much that like in other in all other card games there is just one metric by which to define success and that is your win rate your win loss percentage mm -hmm. and in Marvel Snap you actually have three pillars three factors that go in because one of them is still win loss you need to win a higher amount of games to actually win more cubes than you lose right the second one is win as much as possible when you're ahead mm -hmm. that is the, the the value players the the actual good snaps right and the third pillar is lose as little as possible while you are behind and that is good retreats picking your spots carefully. And also sometimes for some players, it could be being more precise with snaps, not being overly, overly reckless. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I feel like a lot of people, even up to the highest levels of play, haven't really internalized that yet. Like even at the, the world championship level, because most of the current top players just have a card game background mm -hmm. and they approach Marvel Snap like any other card game. And the main focus in their head is win rate. 
they always go for the play that is most likely to currently win them the game. But that is not always the highest average cube rate play. Yep. And that is like a nuance that makes Marvel Snap completely unique. And it's, um, this comes up a lot in coaching. And this is where I feel like with very most, like with the majority of people, that's the one thing that is going to improve their performance the most. If they pay special attention to that. Mm. Yeah, I think because that, once go ahead. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, that was. No, no. I was just gonna say, like, once you integrate that into your game, you're gonna have a really reasonably sized advantage over everyone who doesn't really consider it. Who who still right. like I, like the, the basic the level of this concept is: if I snap here, are they retreating? Right, and then like if I snap here, are they retreating? And alternatively, if I don't snap here, do they ever stay to turn six? And so, like, just thinking about basic stuff like that, like, what can I show them that won't make them leave if I snap, right? Like, things like that. If I show them that they're dead and then snap, well, then they're going to leave. If I snap before they see that they're dead, and that might involve a little bit extra risk, because maybe there's, like, some possible counterplay to your play, but I should still probably do it. Yeah. Yeah. That also factors in the timing of your snap. And sometimes, yeah, it's, it's better to make slightly worse plays to conceal your strength mm -hmm. yep. to get the bigger payoff later. I agree that the poker background definitely helped a lot. I mean, I know Lambie was, he's also a poker player. He came from a poker background, obviously also Yu-Gi-Oh! and stuff like that. But Lambie was one of the first players and was well known for um, being extremely aggressive with snapping. And also, Lambie said on the first time we interviewed him on the podcast, he's like, I play for two cubes more than anybody else in Marvel Snap. He's like, just the lack of attachment and ego to to sort of the additional cube, right? Snapping in games where you're supposed to, where your deck is favored, and then happily losing those games, or, you know, as close to happily as mm -hmm. possible, knowing that you've taken the optimal line. And that does come with that, that poker theory. I want to ask you a sort of an OG question regarding this Marvel Snap game when it comes to snapping and winning and losing. Um, that I know was a critique of the game at the beginning, and probably still is a critique for some players, but some players would say that the snapping element, um, the ability retreat, it takes away from the reward of winning. Because a lot of players will go through the initial game loop, and they'll be used to the binary win-loss of other card games, where if they're ahead, if they've played well all game, they get that binary one, right? They get the, they get the win, they completely defeat their opponent. But in Marvel Snap, you have this aspect where you can be winning in a game the entire time, right? You can outplay your opponent in every aspect, and then you can be coming up to your your sort of your reward, right? Maybe it's your two cubes, your four cubes, and they can leave. I know there's some players out there that feel like that does is like it takes away from the reward of winning, right? Is like they feel like they've they've put in the effort, they put in the work, and that winning doesn't necessarily feel like winning all the time because of the aspect of the tree. I think that was, was was more of an argument back when ladder was the only way to sort of play the game. But I just want to see ask you if you have any thoughts on that in terms of like the cube system retreating and stuff like that in terms of sort of win loss and and how that affects the player. And if you if you agree with that statement and all that makes winning feel sort of less like winning. Okay, so I think there are two sides to this. Uh, one is our card game brains are just hardwired to really have that dopamine kick to, to feel happy when we win. And it doesn't feel as satisfying if your opponent retreats. The flip side to this is also, if you retreat, it always feels bad mm -hmm. as a classic card game player because the game tells you you lost. You lost the cube. You have less cubes than you had before. Um, what's actually... Just a bit on the side, it's a very common misconception. If you retreat, you actually lose zero cubes in that moment because you invested the cube, the first cube, when you clicked play. When you queued up the game, when you started the it's game, the you already right? put the cube in your pot. It's the ante. It doesn't belong to you anymore. Mm -hmm. If you retreat, you win nothing, you lose nothing. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. uh, That helps a lot of people to get more comfortable with re retreating. Yeah. But, I... Go ahead. Sorry, um, about uh, the whole win-loss mechanic. On the flip side, the very positive thing that it enables is intermittent rewards. That's actually from psychology and marketing. That's a thing that Marvel Snap is brilliant at. And that is that people are most hooked to things where the rewards are not always consistent. Mm -hmm. So not always the same timing and also different levels of rewards. And I think that winning a high number of cubes 
is even more satisfying than a regular win to a lot of people. And that kind of roller coaster of sometimes winning much, sometimes winning little, sometimes losing much, sometimes losing little, I think is this also like it depends on the person in the end, but I think for a lot of people, that is a bit more of a hooking factor than one that would push the players away. Yeah, for sure. I definitely felt that concept permeate a little bit more when ladder was the only way to engage with the game. But I think when you when you're able to play more conquest and conquest sort of becomes that premier format of Marvel Snap, you start to appreciate more the cube system and sort of the holistic approach um, to sort of betting cubes, losing cubes, winning cubes. And then, you know, Conquest does give you that medium of the binary win-loss of this game. So it gives you that that card gamer lizard brain, uh, sort of the satisfaction you're looking for, if like totally winning or totally losing, because that is what happens um, at the end. Anyway, Fresh Lobster, we are a little bit short on time this week, but I want to thank you so much for coming on thank you so much. the podcast. You're always a great person to talk to. You have a fantastic, you have a fantastic mind for the game. It's something that I I realized about you after meeting you over in the UK. Um, I thought you got to fantastic M, and I thought you were going to say mustache. Mustache. <laughs> that go, that goes that goes without saying, but. First off, so I want to give you a chance to shout out, um, you know, for the people listening, where they can find you, what you're up to, et cetera. The floor is yours. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, it was amazing. And actually some really interesting concepts and high level talk. Really appreciate that. You say that like and, you're surprised. Um, <laughs> oh, actually, there was some really interesting concepts on here. I expected you guys to be dumb as hell, but actually... <laughs> No, I've seen some of the podcasts before. That's why I was very hyped to be on it. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, I do have a YouTube channel, just Fresh Lobster. It's Twitch stream, Fresh Lobster CCG. And on Twitter or X, it's Fresh Lobster C. Right now, I'm not as active anymore because I'm going back to university. Uh, but I will do the occasional stream and YouTube video post. A mixture of Marvel snaps, getting back into Legends of Runeterra as well. And I'm thinking about grinding some paper card game in the future. Mm. We'll see. Like flesh and blood, yeah. Going to U.S. Nationals Maybe this weekend in Vegas. I'm actually flying out a few hours. Um, anyway, we did have a review come in this week. This review comes from Quadzilla89. Uh, they say, a must listen. I work 60 hours a week, have a wife and two cats. I don't have the time to analyze and adapt to the new meta every week. In about an hour, Brendan and Cam tell me everything I need to know to stay relevant on the ladder and in conquest. They also share the latest news in high-level play. In the time listening to this podcast, I went from consistently hitting low 90s on the ladder to making infinite every month. If you have time to play but want to stay on the cutting edge of competitive play, if you have little time to play and you want to stay on the competitive, cutting edge of competitive play, uh, the snapshot is a must-listen. Brennan and KM, keep up the good work. Yeah, you saw that as well. Um, yeah, if you want to leave a review, you, you can get good it. work, dude. <laughs> keep up. You can uh, you can leave a review at thispodcast.com slash snapshot or go to Apple Podcasts. It helps so much. There's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the underscore snapshot. Like, subscribe right there. Twitter's Brendan APG, KM Best MS, and Fresh Lobster C. KM, have a safe flight. Good luck with your streams. You. Good luck with all of your games. Thank you all so much. I mean, for by the time this comes out, I'll probably be back in like a day or two. Who who even knows? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the event itself is on the 27th. So it'll probably drop the day of the event. Uh, but I don't know time zones and I refuse to learn them. So I, I don't know before or after. And then I'll be attempting to stream from various airports and cafes on the next two days. So maybe maybe my stream schedule will be perfect. We're going to keep trying to do what it is. Uh, basically, it'll be whenever I can possibly get the stream working. So it'll either be on or it won't. <laughs> well, good luck again. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.